We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast programming. And we're not sorry. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're Rebel Girls Book Club. We're here to take an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers? We've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and cue up your favorite podcast app of choice. Let's get rebellious about your new favorite reads. Hello and welcome, friends and enemies. It's Perhaps It's You. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And we're recording in the Witch District of Minneapolis to rewatch the show that traumatized you as a child and made you the person you are today. It made you stronger, more suspicious, <laughs> and convinced you would spend your time solving murders. That's a really good summary of the show. <laughs> We're getting better at this whole podcasting thing. You know, it's only taken years, and we're still not very good. <laughs> we're doing hi. We're doing our best. Oh, we've seen a, a spike in downloads since we were on Rob's podcast on Our Strange Sky. So thank you if thank you joined you, Rob. us. Thank you, new listeners. Welcome yes. to the five. <laughs> Welcome to our other five listeners we had previously. Now we have <laughs> six or seven listeners, and we're so thankful for all of you. So thankful. I can't believe anyone would come listen to our show after we ruined Rob's show. So that really warms my heart thank you so much and thank you to rob thank you thank you thank you uh and you should enjoy if you're here from if you came here from rob's podcast you should enjoy today's episode because there's aliens in it yeah we have some very special ufo content in this episode so stay tuned and enjoy what are our updates though first it has been a minute uh halloween actually happened it came and went while we were we had a little scheduling conflict, so we didn't record last week. Yeah, thank you for understanding that we didn't have an Unsolved Mysteries episode, but I hope you enjoyed our episode about ghost adventures. We had Friend of the Pod, Kara, on. We released it from the Perhaps It's You vault. That was exclusive Patreon material that had aged, and we said, all right, it's time for the general masses is to that, hear our thoughts is on... Is the, the Perhaps It's You vault similar to the Disney vault? Yeah, I we'll, think so. We just will release content. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they'd be like, it's going in, you won't be able to watch The Lion King for two years. It always used to be like, and for the rest of the millennium. (laughs) And then you'd go, okay, but that's like two years. We're closing the vault. This is your last chance. Calm down. To get your Beauty and the Beast VHS. You're like, also Blockbuster will for sure have it. So (laughs) I think I'm going to be all right. We all survived the, yeah. Disney, the Disney vault. Uh, yeah, that's a preview of the kind of extra bonus content you'll get if you subscribe to our Patreon. If you throw a whole dollar away. Yeah, any amount well, above a dollar. A dollar I don't think Patreon above. lets you pledge less than a dollar. I don't think so. So I think it has to be a dollar. But look, if you're stealing that dollar from a fountain, that's fine. We don't care. Yeah, you just have to give it to us in not, electronic form. You can't actually send us the coins. No, I'm you not sure how that You can't put the soggy quarters in an envelope and mail it to us. That doesn't work. I mean, you can. It's just not going to get you anywhere oh, yeah, as no, far as do Patreon. that. You just won't get the Patreon. <laughs> we'll spend that on polar water. Yeah. Oh, okay. Important update. Shout out to friend of the pod, Rochelle, who recently went to a con. Oh, Met hero word. of the podcast. Regular subject on this podcast, Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> That's the f- 
first and only time we're ever going to say his name correctly. Yeah. I hope she didn't tell him when she met him that we often say his name wrong. Host of Beyond Belief and the narrator of UFO information caught on tape something something. Something we recently covered on Patreon. Yeah. She met him and got him to autograph something just for us. I will post a picture on our Instagram. <laughs> Which means he's like, is at least slightly aware that we exist, even though I'm sure he immediately forgot. There was like one second of time where he knew that was a thing. Which blows my mind. <laughs> Sadly, they didn't have any Beyond Belief merchandise for him to sign. Yeah, this was at a con, I think, and they really were focusing on, <laughs> well, on his other, she said he other was less important <laughs> endeavors, in my opinion. Such as Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, she said he was quite surprised that that's what she wanted to talk about. <laughs> he was like, oh, she beyond belief. The only one. <laughs> Which is hard for me to believe just because it was my fa- my brother's favorite show back in the day. He right. was so into it. But even now, it's like he would not go to a con to meet Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> even though that was at one period of time his favorite show. I guess he's not like holding on to it still. Well, Jonathan Frakes, if you're listening... Uh, <laughs> Which I'm sure you are. <laughs> Welcome to the five. Welcome. We're so glad to have you and your to dramatic our, vocal stylings. Welcome as part of our to family. Our, our newest mystery solver, Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably event... Sometime soon. We've been talking about doing another Beyond Belief episode. Maybe we'll do one for the holidays or something. I think we should do a holiday because special of... really fun. It's so fun to, to guess whether or not they're going to say their facts or fiction. Well, we not whether or not they're true. <laughs> Because none of them are true. No, no. Whether or not they say that's <laughs> true. One of the things we could use, though, is a recommendation for a good episode to watch. Because we've it's sort of hard to know if it's going to be a particularly good episode or if it's going to be just... Sure, if somehow uh, you fish. have a favorite episode of Beyond Belief... Let us know. Yeah. It's and it has a- to be a Jonathan Frakes one. I don't want that other guy. Yeah. Absolutely that not. That goes without saying. Yeah. Your favorite episode better not have whatever that other dude was. <laughs> That's a trash garbage recommendation, then. I'm sure there were other updates. I hope everyone had a great Halloween. Remember yeah. that you can always celebrate in your heart. It doesn't matter that it's over. Should, yeah. Should we talk about some UFOs? Okay. This is... We got... We got Quite a lot of UFO content. A lot of UFO content. So we are on most of this episode is UFO content. What is currently in the current day being called season four, episode eighteen? We watch on Amazon, but fuck Amazon. Seriously, they're the fucking worst. Mm -hmm. Go watch Mm -hmm. this for free on YouTube. Yeah, or your Roku has a like channel through Pluto that just shows unsolved mysteries. So if you have a Roku, check that out. There's also a Forensic Files channel. Ooh. Which, yeah, just shows forensic files. You can pretend you're at a hotel. It's like you're on vacation. Sometimes hotels have a channel that is literally just on forensic files because they get me and they know that's what you want to fall asleep to. I don't know because I only ever watch the ID channel when I'm in a hotel. Oh, sure. But it's pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. Okay, so we're starting with the first segment is The Unexplained. And Robert Stack tells us most of us take tales of UFO sightings for granted. So true. <laughs> but the phenomenon was virtually unheard of until after World War II. Can we get a fact check on that? I don't know I if that's actually was, true. No, I thought that was interesting because, I mean, obviously you're not going to interpret things as flying craft, like, before the invention of the airplane. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to see a light in the sky and then go, obviously that's a vehicle that flies because that's going to be like, beyond your comprehension. Right. I'm just guessing everybody would interpret it as religious. Right? I think even, so. Even, okay, so we talked about 
Betty Cash, who got radiation after seeing a UFO. Mm -hmm. But Samantha learned that originally when she saw that, she ran out of the car screaming, like, praise Jesus. She thought it was the second coming. Yeah. Was her first reaction. So I'm guessing things that would maybe now be interpreted as UFOs used to be interpreted as angels. This is a really good thesis, and I think you should do some research and maybe write some sort of academic article. Yeah, I bet he does. Let us know, Rob, if my thesis is accurate. Okay, so then Unsolved Mysteries kind of cheats a little bit, and it gives us a timeline of UFO sightings using previous cases they've already talked about. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries really pats itself on the back here for being like (laughs) the pinnacle of like, these are the most important UFO sightings of all time. The ones told by us. We've already covered. Right. But I actually think it's really helpful to give you like a timeline of how they fit together. Okay, so then we have to start, of course, with Roswell. Duh. So it's 1947. Robert Stack refers to this as the genesis of UFO sightings. And this is all where it all begins. The Alpha and Omega. (laughs) Roswell. And he described it as a thoroughly documented and publicized event that the authorities ultimately denied. Yeah, you already know that, right? You know You already know. Okay, so then they go to reminding us about 1965, when residents of a small town in Pennsylvania observed a fireball fly through the sky and fall to earth. And then many witnesses saw that the Air Force, an Army Air Force squadron, haul away an object, which the Air Force later claimed, or the Army later claimed, was a meteorite. That's something we've also a talked about. A likely story. <laughs> that something was moved on a flatbed truck. Mm-hmm. Some people, I think, said they saw aliens. Other people just saw a crash. Whatever. Yeah. We've talked about that. That was 65. And then he sort of just sort of groups a bunch of things together by saying, over the next 25 years, cases increased, often on or near military bases. And the examples were the Bentwaters case in England, which we talked about. Apparently, the same day or the day after is Betty Cash's radiation burns in Texas, where she is in her car and sees that UFO. Mm. And then we go to, most recently, the the wave in Belgium, which I think was in 91. Robert Sack then warns us that eyewitnesses that go forward with their UFO stories risk risk becoming the object of ridicule or scorn. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, from like you, Robert Stagg. <laughs> Clearly not a believer. He's like, can you believe that when people come through with these stories, everybody thinks they're nuts? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you, you're, the, you're right there, yeah. boomer. <laughs> well, she's not a boomer, but whatever. <laughs> like, yes, of course. Look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> and so he wants us to know that witnessing a UFO is a life-changing event. Whose life was changed in this example? It was radio reporter Danny Gordon. We're in Withville, Virginia. It has a population of 8,000. He describes it in this very charming way as peaceful, unpretentious, and uneventful. That is very... I hope they put that in a sign and they, like, hang it in the town square. I love it. It's in quotation marks. It just says Robert Stack. Yeah, peaceful, unpretentious, and uneventful. Robert Stack. Okay, so... And October 7th, 1987, radio reporter Danny Gordon uh, did his regular check-in with the county sheriff to see if there was any local news that he should be reporting on. What kind of things qualify as local, <laughs> oh, local newsworthy events in Withville? Yeah, so 
He said that they liked to end the news with some local humor. And the example that he gave really bottles the mind. It was once a police officer killed five chickens with two shots. And he described that as a ha-ha piece. Like, that was really funny. And I'm just, what? what? Why? Why is a police officer killing chickens with a gun? Why is he so proud that he managed to kill five chickens in two shots? That's not how you kill chickens, everyone. This is a very important news story in Woodville. I like that Danny thought this was funny, and and also that it required no context. Like, normally I'm uh, reporting on some some fluff pieces (laughs) like the time that... Like this, you're going to love how many chickens were dead at the end of this. This is just an example of uh, police officers using deadly force when it is not necessary. <laughs> they will shoot at anything, why including sh- chickens. I, I'm not quite sure why they're shooting chickens. Was he, were these nuisance chickens? I assume, that was- I assume he was scared. <laughs> he felt threatened. They used an unfriendly tone. And they did not stop when they were told to. <laughs> I don't, we get no more information on that, and honestly, I, we should get a whole segment. This is an unsolved mystery to me. What happened to those chickens? Well, we know what happened to the chickens, but why? But why? Why? Why is that supposed to be funny? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what he was told on this particular day was that three deputies, all former military men, claimed to have seen a UFO. So he ends the news for the day with that, thinking it's hilarious. He then... <laughs> Uh, the station is flooded with phone calls from other people in town that have seen a UFO. And there's so many calls that it's like clogging up all the lines and no one else can get through. He's got dead chicken stories to tell and he cannot. <laughs> there is important news that needs to go out to these 8,000 people and it's getting ruined by all of these UFO sightings. So he's like, okay, fine. I will make a special call-in show so everyone can call in and get this bullshit off their chest. <laughs> and so people call in. This was on October 19th, 1987, which is important. This is the day my brother was born. Wow. Which has come up on this podcast more than once. It always makes me happy. Okay. So people call in and they tell tales of egg-shaped objects, flashing lights, et cetera, et cetera. Egg-shaped objects, you say? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I don't have any theories yet, but that's interesting. <laughs> it's just a clue to add to other clues. Um, Danny assumed this had something to do with the military base, because Langley Air Force Base is not too far away. Um, he didn't think that it was aliens, but the military said that it could possibly be planes refueling, but that they were, it was not related to military testing. And everybody who had seen something said, yeah, that's not planes refueling, and also planes shouldn't refuel that low. If that's what's happening, please stop doing that. Yes. <laughs> this seems and really like dangerous. right over people's houses. Yeah. So then Danny tells us that if it had been military testing, he would have backed off the story because, unlike myself, he is a patriot. <laughs> but since the military told him they didn't have anything to do with it, he went forward. What's kind of hilarious about this is that he called the military and some person high up and proposed this he's like these are what other military people are telling me that it could be planes refueling but this is the altitude we saw it at and uh, oh, yeah. would that would that be an explanation and apparently i don't remember what the guy told them that if that was true someone's ass their, was on a plate they'd have their ass on a plate yeah or their ass on a sling or something but he was willing to accept that explanation as long as it was true like 
if the military was doing something incredibly dangerous low above the heads of his entire town, <laughs> he he'd be like, fine oh, okay. with it because he's a patriot. He's a patriot. But because it might be aliens, we got another story. Well, we got to look into it. Okay, so then October 21st of 1987, he decides to drive out to the area where most of the sightings have occurred with a friend of his, a camera, and a video camera. After two hours of nothing... Is his friend your MVM? Oh my god, I didn't even think about it, but yeah. His friend is a character. I'm gonna call him... He's the mu- He's got the mustache from above. <laughs> <laughs> the mustache from above, Yes. Yes. <laughs> I forgot to name it. Okay. So for two hours, they don't see anything. And then, which really, like, think of only looking for a UFO for two hours and then see one. <laughs> Seems pretty productive. They've been out there for 10 minutes. They're like, where the fuck is the UFO? <laughs> I thought there were sightings. <laughs> uh, then they see a strange object raised over the horizon. They described it as large, domed craft with no wings, multicolored lights, and like all men, they describe it as two football fields in <laughs> diameter, the only type of measurement, Standard of measurement. that men know, uh, and that it had three lit windows in the back. As it flies away, it's joined by a red ball that seemed to like merge with the craft or board the craft or something. And he described it as like watching a video game. But they were both doofuses, and none of them took any <laughs> pictures. So, they specifically went out there to photograph a UFO. What did they not have on their person as they were standing out there for literal hours? Well, they had their it with them. Camera. They just were so awestruck by the UFO that afterwards, one of them said to the other, did you get any pictures? No, didn't you? And they were like, no, my camera's in the car. <laughs> but then... This is not even explained. They just went back the next night and then did take pictures. And I was like, so they just saw it again? I the guess. very next night? I guess. That that apparently didn't need any story. It was like, they went back the next night and got the pictures they forgot. What I think is not clear in the segment, and maybe if I had an ounce of research, I would have oh, yeah, found no, the I, answer to I this. I did none. But it seemed like there was so many sightings. Because at the very end, Robert Stack says that he would get like a hundred... Hundreds of calls a month. He got like radio five hundred calls a month. Yeah, about in a UF- very not UFO populated sightings. area. No, and it had later later dwindled to fifty calls a month, which seems like still a lot for a town of eight thousand. <laughs> That's really quite a lot. So it seems like maybe there was sightings nightly. Oh yeah, it seems like it must be. It was basically everyone in town was like, "Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I saw that. It's over my house every night." Yeah, you want to go see that? Literally, go to this place at this time. Right. So, um, before even getting the pictures developed, he called a press conference. After doing so, he started to get anonymous threatening phone calls tell him, telling him not to mess with defense, defense matters. After the press conference, which I don't really understand the press conference because he hadn't had the pictures developed yet, but whatever. He just, like, had a press conference to be like, yep, I saw that UFO too. Uh, but afterwards, his house was broken into, but nothing was taken. And he thought that it was people looking for the photographs, which I assume were, like, still at Walgreens or some bullshit being yeah. developed. Once the, they were developed, the photographs showed only vague streaks in the sky. They show them out on solar streets, and they're completely unremarkable. It looks like maybe a firefly. Like, maybe. Or just a bad photo of a street lamp. Or, like, literally anything. Yeah, it's really not clear. It could be a flashlight sitting on a couch in a dark room. You have no... Like, you don't even know what's outside. Like, you don't know any... It could be inside a cave. It could... It could be you put the camera in a plastic bag. Like, anyway. 
Six weeks later, his wife and hit he, Danny, his wife and daughter, are leaving the local mall when a UFO just appeared in the sky. And according to the reenactment, an entire bus of children saw it. I don't know if that's true. And all true. started screaming. <laughs> but, mm. So they saw what appeared to be one object, then break into four flying disc shapes. And he did get pictures of that. And what's notable about the pictures is that they change shapes in between clicks of the camera. So sometimes they look like spheres, sometimes they look like discs, sometimes they look like eggs. You just see these, like, four shape-shifting small blobs. Yeah. Okay. Then we hear from a few other people in town who had also uh, saw UFOs. One of them is Patricia Acker, who has hair like a poodle. She she seriously fucking does. She really does. I hope she still wears her hair like that. Okay, she has seen UFOs on 10 different occasions, 8 miles north of Withville, and she describes it as a cross between a helicopter and an airplane that makes no noise. Then we hear from Rita Marie Vaught, who describes it as a carousel-like object that's spinning with multicolored lights, and she specifically points out that it did not scare her, that until she actually sees aliens, UFOs are not going to scare her. And also, she was like, I'm sick of all these educated psychiatrists telling us that we're making this up. You haven't seen what I've seen. She just comes <laughs> out like... She comes out swinging. Yeah. she's. I kind of appreciate it. No, I respect to Rita. She's yeah. like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear how you think I'm making this up. You didn't see it. Come here. Come to Withville. Go to this field where apparently everyone sees you UFO <laughs> every day and tell me it's not real. Right. Because I saw it and I'm not scared. And I'm not scared of you either. <laughs> my name's Rita. Rita's my hero. Yeah. At this point, Danny said that he got around to calling the Pentagon, which is one of the most hilarious <laughs> phrases. It's like you have a to-do list, and you keep put. And one of them is call the Pentagon. Which <laughs> I'm not even sure it occurred to me you could do. And you just call them up. And he was like, all right, goddamn, today's the day. Checking off, call the Pentagon. So he talks to, like, I don't know, they're publicist or their press person and this was their official statement we do not deny that ufos exist the government confirms they exist we deny that they pose a threat to the populace of with county okay so apparently do they pose a a threat to any other county (laughs) (laughs) that's That's true small county i mean they probably don't pose a threat to with county but like what about our county (laughs) UFOs are real. They're a danger to most of the country, but not where you are. <laughs> they like it there. That's why they're there every day. Like, wouldn't you be like, they don't pose a threat to anyone? They don't know that. They just know that they don't pose a threat. They're like, the reason we're not sending in troops is because you're fine. It makes it seem like they're in cahoots with the aliens. They're like, don't worry, we're in this county. Your county's fine. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it? Like, I mean, they know for a fact they don't pose a threat to with county because we're in, we I don't have know, to- some other county. We have to believe. That requires us believing Danny's statement that someone at the Pentagon was literally saying, we do not deny UFOs exist. We know they exist. I'm not positive if you just call up the Pentagon <laughs> that that is what they would say. Do you think that he was calling the Pentagon so much that someone was finally like, just tell this guy that UFOs exist? <laughs> it was like, or it was just an intern and it was his last day and he hated there. He was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Look, dude, you're fine. Quit the calling. government does not deny that UFOs exist, which is true, right? I mean, well, but they, I, I thought it was a more. It. I thought it was a more recent development that they were like, okay, yes, there's UFOs. Yeah, it was like this year, <laughs> and then no one cared. Yeah, 
a lot bigger problems going on. They waited until we were all distracted. In fact, we welcomed the aliens with those planes. Just take us. Okay, so then by 1988, Danny was packing to go speak at a conference about his UFO experiences when he seemed a phone call from someone who said they were a retired military officer. He was calling to warn him. For sure believe this guy. Yeah. That his own investigations had led to his son getting leukemia. This is some real X-Files shit. He was claiming that because he got too close to the truth, the government gave his son leukemia. an illness you can totally give people (laughs) and he wanted to warn danny that the government was not very happy with his investigations and warned him to be to be careful of spray contact chemicals like they would spray something on his doorknob like or like leukemia (laughs) i don't know spray leukemia and then if if they couldn't get to him that they were gonna get to his family and Danny was like, I believed in free speech, so I told him I was going to the conference anyway. Like, he wants us to think he's, like, this real rebel guy who is like, don't yeah. worry, I'm going to ride a motorcycle right into that conference, and I'm going to say, aliens are real. The reenactment of this is really funny, because his wife is, his reenactment wife is in the room, and he's, I don't know, having it out with this guy who's telling him that his, the, the government is going to come for him. Yeah. And he hangs up, his wife is like, uh, what's that about? Nothing. Walks out of the room. <laughs> Can you imagine? And he's just be like, oh, that was a weird prank call. And he ends the call being like, well, I'm going to this conference. I'm going to tell the truth. You can't stop me. Quit trying to intimidate me. I believe in free speech. Hangs Click. the phone. Uh, honey, what the fuck was that? Nothing, dear. <laughs> Walks out of the room. Oh, he's on like a landline that's on the, the wall in the kitchen, right? <laughs> it's not like a discreet phone call. No. She should have divorced him right then, honestly, for not for not telling her. At least being like, some crank just called me. You shouldn't say nothing. And they were kind of making threats to his family. I'm so. sure he didn't want them to worry, but also she's going to fucking worry. She it's knows that was not nothing. Ten times worse if you're like, oh, it's nothing, it's fine. Don't worry your pretty little head about it, darling. Get that roast in the oven. <laughs> no. Boo. I hope he got divorced. <laughs> Okay, so less than a month later, two men in suits randomly arrive claiming to be from the Richmond Gazette. One man interviewed Danny and the other one just roamed around their house. Taking pictures of their house? Like, randomly. At least according to the reenactment, just like, click, click, (laughs) like, oh, some curtains. Oh, some books. Oh, a stove. What? It's very strange. (laughs) Well, he's like standing Apparently, like, literally in the entranceway of the house. Because he was not expecting these people to come. He didn't really invite them in. And so, he's just, like, standing, like, right by the front door, like, So, Danny, uh, you've seen some UFOs, huh? <laughs> and this other guy's just wandering around, like, taking pictures of their shoes and crap. Uh, they said they were going to send him a copy of the article. But when he did not get one, he followed up. <laughs> like, I want to see myself in the Richmond Gazette. So, he called up and they were like, uh, we don't know who those men are. They're not on the payroll. I have questions. The first is, as as exciting as it is to imagine that these are, like, men in black, do you think he's just being, like, punked by, like, (laughs) teenagers in the area that have nothing else to do? I mean, 
They, they went down to the thrift store and got some suits. They live in Wyeth. What What are they? Like, seriously, though, what are they going to do? They show up at his door with some clipboards. And I'm like, shocked, yes, sir. Uh, we heard you've been seeing UFOs. <laughs> no, I'm not 12. So, my next question. <laughs> like, I'm shocked kids weren't out in that field making crop circles every night. They're probably bored as heck. Right? That's what I'm saying. You're, I think you're on to something. Okay. So, um... After that happened, he sat down to catalog his UFO photographs, a normal activity, (laughs) and he noticed that one of the negatives was missing. So the photos we've seen in the segment so far have been pretty unimpressive. The ones like suck by the bus are okay, but like so I assume he's showing us the best of his UFO photographs, and they're terrible. So he has enough that he needs to catalog them. What are those other photographs of? I don't just know. Just empty night sky? I guess. I don't see how he would need a catalog of them. But so many questions about this one. <laughs> but he noticed that his best one from the shopping mall was missing. Oh, that's why we didn't see it, because it was missing. Yeah. Convenient. Well, he still has the photograph for it. He just oh. doesn't have the negative. Oh, okay. So we saw the best one. Well, so we saw the gotcha. best one. <laughs> gotcha. And he... Of course, they didn't just misplace it, or I don't know, didn't get it back from the shop and didn't notice. He knows that these men in black stole it. And when he actually looks at the photo, he's like, he basically says this photo sucks. I don't understand why. What's the point of stealing the negative? I don't know. They could be blown up. He thinks there's like somehow some information in there he's missing from the photo. Oh, but he has. But he has the photo. He has a photo that's developed. For- okay. But maybe if he got it blown up huge, he would. Cease. I don't know. Oh yeah, for yeah, for sure. If from that only blurry, had enhanced it. <laughs> from that blurry bad photograph. You'd see the aliens in the window. <laughs> Just waving. Hi, Daddy. Heard you were talking about us. <laughs> Our ears were burning. <laughs> like they're like, oh yeah, no, we keep coming to our town, your town, because we want to be friends with you, Danny. <laughs> this is all about you. We are also patriots. Yeah. Let's talk about how much we love the U.S. government <laughs> and don't care if they're putting us all in danger. Okay. Two months later, he's hospitalized. I wasn't sure if he actually had a heart attack or he just thought he was no, having a heart attack. He didn't. He had like a, I don't know, maybe he fainted or something or some sort of exhaust. He had an episode caused by exhaustion. Because he was so stressed out by threats and UFO things. I mean, if he was getting 500 calls a month, he's probably working overtime. Yeah. I, and I, probably at some point, this radio station was like, oh my god, your job actually is not UFO research. Could you, like, do the news <laughs> on the radio? There's dying chickens out there that aren't being reported on. <laughs> There's kids just going around pranking people and no one's putting a stop to it. Officer Steve shot 12 ducks <laughs> with four bullets and four. no one told the story. 12 innocent ducks. Um, he says he would just as soon never see a UFO again. Except that he fucking went on Unsolved Mysteries to talk about this. Yeah, I don't know about that. And then he wants us to, she says, don't look up. It's not worth it's it. It's a bit ominous. It's not worth it to see a UFO. And then going on soft mysteries, even though you could have just let this die down. <laughs> Look, there was an invasion of their town. Yeah, it seemed very peaceful. Yeah, it was a charming, lovely place before the aliens moved in. Yeah, I say this is a good segment because no one died and nothing bad happened. It's pretty humorous. The characters in this town yeah. are very charming. It's on the longer side. It's quite long. It's most of this episode. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the investigators with Samantha. And yeah. my first note is awesome ski jacket. Yes. 
There is some awesome... There's some pretty impressive fashion. This segment has some good fashion in it. But it is sad. So this is the... It's brutal. This is the mystery of... And this is what it's called. This is not my words. Uh, This is the Ohio Prostitute Killer. Uh, That is not a creative name at all. No. Language aside, just saying state type of victim killer. Especially since the alias of this mysterious serial killer are Dr. No, Stargazer, and Dragon. Yeah, why isn't this you could the have Dr. No killer? Yeah, you could have been the, something about Dragon. I don't know, someone more creative than me probably could have used those to come up with a better name, but here we are. Dr. No, the Dragon Slayer. That's way too friendly. <laughs> <laughs> the dra- if only it was dragons that were being played. Okay, so in Ohio, police are searching for a serial killer who is suspected of murdering at least eight sex workers throughout the state. On April 19th, 1990, the body of an unidentified white female was found off Interstate 75 behind a truck stop. She had been beaten to death. All of her jewelry and some of her clothing were missing. Four years earlier, on July 20th, 1985, the body of 23-year-old sex worker Shirley Dean Taylor was found behind a guardrail on the same interstate about 100 miles away from the 1990 murder location. She was also beaten to death and her jewelry and some of her clothes were missing. Although the two cases at first seemed to be completely isolated crimes, investigator investigative reporter Michael Barons was able to use newspaper reports and other evidence to link the two cases together, along with several other unsolved murders in Ohio. And he's, like, way too happy about it. <laughs> that was my, like, first note about him, was that I think he's just tickled to be on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. But it comes off that he's just, like, really excited to talk about these brutal murders. Which- he can't stop smiling, and it's, he needs to be a little bit more serious. <laughs> Which, okay, to be fair, if I ended up on Unsolved Mysteries because I had linked together some murders that the police hadn't, I would be fucking thrilled with myself. But you gotta pull it together a little bit (laughs) because this is a serious topic. This is very serious. You need to be a a little bit more subdued. Women are being beaten to death and left in ditches. (laughs) It's not a jolly topic, but... I swear this is the highlight of his life. And I get it, but dude, (laughs) reel it in. He's got to bring it down a a little. I need a minute and take a deep breath. (laughs) Stop smiling so much, Michael. You're talking about murders. All right. Since then, eight women were were found either beaten or strangled to death along the major interstate in Ohio. In all cases, jewelry and clothing were removed from each body. Each of the identified victims were suspected to be sex workers, and each of those women were believed to work at truck stops. Barons later went undercover to find more information about the murders and the victims. As the majority of the men were teamsters who used CB radios to communicate alongside the highway, Barons learned that the sex workers would also use CB radios in order to advertise their services. I thought this was so fucking smart. They would basically sit at the truck stops, um, usually be together uh, in in a lot of cases, and then they would have a CB radio and they would use their call sign, and frequent visitors to the truck stops would sort of get to know them and... Uh, they were able to basically broadcast and then you could respond if you were interested. And that is very brilliant, I think. I think it's so smart. It could be Samantha would get on, be sitting in a car smoking, get on the CB and be like, over, over, Mothman lover here, (laughs) who is is up for a good time. And then Mothman is in his car. (laughs) It's like, Roger, come on over. I'm in this 
color truck or whatever. So smart. You don't have to walk around outside. You don't have to waste your time going to trucks that aren't interested. You can just... Say like, hey, I'm I'm in town. Yeah. Who's in trap? Yeah. It's very smart. Genius. So it is believed <laughs> and absolutely your call sign would be Mothman Lover. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Give me that booty. So it is believed that the killer used a two-way radio in order to attract a sex worker, posing as a potential customer. Once inside his truck, the killer would murder his victim and discard her body in a remote location somewhere along the interstate. Uh, what has this is why he shouldn't have been so gleeful about it. What really? So we hear from Michael Barons, who put all of this together, and basically what we learn is that there's a lot of details that went into this that prevented the police from putting these murders together. First of all, the victims, right? These are members of the less dead. Uh, when, and Michael basically says, when a sex worker is murdered, people are the police aren't going to look into it as much as if, I don't know, a housewife down the street was murdered. Yeah, he, he called them out on that, and the police deny that that's true, but we've seen that time and again. Right. The other thing is that conventional wisdom at the time, and probably still today, is that uh, killers dispose of their bodies in areas they're familiar with. And these bodies were basically, they used the word scattered um, across the state. And that's probably due to the fact that it was... My likely- dogs are outraged. <laughs> um, so not only were they scattered across the state, but they were in different jurisdictions. Which we know, even today, police in different jurisdictions don't do a good job of communicating, but back then there wasn't the same technologies that there is today. And so they speculate that maybe this person had, like, not, was maybe used to be a police officer or had some knowledge of the way that police operate. They're but also I think, acting like that's really hard to figure out, and I just don't think it is. I don't, no, I don't think it's hard to figure Watch, out. Watch, like, two episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, right. and you'll learn that jurisdictions don't talk to each other. The other thing is that this person is probably a truck driver, so he's probably just driving around. Right. Disposing of the bodies where it's convenient. Yeah, where so, there's, like, not people around. Because or... they're all off interstates. You can see a map on Unsolved Mysteries. There's, like, basically a map of the interstates and the little dots are right along them right so it doesn't take a you know a rocket science to scientist to figure out that this is a truck driver and just dropping bodies off along the way so but this is what michael barons put together to speculate that these murders weren't unrelated that they were the work of a serial killer so now we get a little bit about some of the known victims. On February 8th, 1987, 27-year-old Anna Marie Peterson became the sixth victim of the murderer. She was last seen getting into a black or blue uh, Peterbilt truck at a stop in Austin Town. Earlier that night, she had received a call from a trucker with the CB handle of Dr. No. She initially turned... She's kind of ominous, right? It is ominous. I don't know who, how we came up with that, but it's a little bit creepy. So she initially turned him down because she, along with several other sex workers, were afraid of him. They don't mm. say why. However, it is believed that she later went with him that night. She was never seen alive again. Anna Marie's body was located 25 days later in a drainage ditch along <sighs> Interstate 71 near Cincinnati. The spot was about 250 miles from where she had been last seen. An autopsy determined that she had been killed with within 48 hours of her disappearance. 
Um, surprisingly, the autopsy also suggested that the killer kept her body in a perhaps a refrigerated truck for almost a month. Barons determined that the first victim of the killer was a woman who was found in 1981 and has never been identified. Then, during the next nine years, the bodies of seven more women would be found, all suspected to be victims of the same killer. Most vanished from truck stops in Austintown, Ohio. The other victims included 25-year-old Marsha Matthews, who vanished from a Mansfield truck stop and was found on June 21st, 1985, just off I-70 in Richland County. Then there was 18-year-old April Bennett, who was found on December 3rd, 1985. She was strangled and dumped behind a guardrail in Ashland County. Mm. An unidentified woman found on August 10th, 1987 in Inglewood, and a 26-year-old named Catherine Hill were found on November 5th, 1990 uh, in a parking lot near the Lake Township Hotel. Three other women found along interstates in Illinois, Pennsylvania, and New York were also believed to be victims of the same killer. There was 26-year-old Jill Allen, who was found strangled to death in Springfield, Illinois, on December 19, 1986. 19-year-old LaMonica Cole was found dead at the rear of a truck stop in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. Uh, Terry Rourke was found dead in Saratoga County, New York, on March 29, 1988. So on... Then on March 10th, 1991, Barron's article was published in Ohio newspapers. It detailed compelling evidence that suggested that the eight victims were all killed by the same individual. Ten days later, Ohio Attorney General's office started a task force investigating the murders. Barron's noted that the bodies were dumped in different police jurisdictions and believed that the killer may have been a former police officer or security guard familiar with the problems of communication between jurisdictions. Who knows? Well, um, kudos for him to, for bringing to light something that the police departments didn't care about. Yeah. And because of that article, I'm sure there was increased public pressure to actually do something about it. So kudos to him. Right. Definitely. Um, this Unsolved Mysteries episode was pretty brief, but there is actually a lot of information out there about the case. So oh. first we have some information from Unsolved Wiki. So amazingly, all of the unidentified victims profiled in the segment have since been identified. Oh, that's so nice. In 2010, the woman found on August 10th, 1987 was identified as Paula Beverly Davis, who vanished from Missouri in 1987. Another victim was identified in February 2013 as Sharon Lynn Kad- Kadzierski, who had vanished in October of 1988 from Florida. Basically, I think for through advances in DNA, all of his oh, victims sure. have been identified. And then there was some news this year what? about a possible... So this case is possibly solved. Oh, interesting. Um, so this is from an article in the Akron Beacon Journal, and the title is Arrest in Medina County uh, Rape Could Be Key to Solving a Web of Cold Cases. So um, Samuel W. W. Legg could be the killer police across Ohio have been searching for since Ronald Reagan was president. On Thursday morning... <laughs> that was an in- Remember that bastard, Ronald Reagan? <laughs> it's been that long, folks. So this was posted in February, on, on Valentine's Day of this year, February 2019. It says, on Thursday morning, the 49-year-old former big rig driver stood before a Medina County judge on charges that he sexually assaulted a 17-year-old girl near a truck stop 
outside of Seville 22 years ago. Hours later, about 70 miles east, Mahoning County officials announced Legg's indictment for the murder of Sharon Lynn Kadirsky, who I just mentioned was one of the recently identified victims. She was found dead at an Austin Town truck stop in 1992. Officials have said that DNA also links Legg, who most recently lived in Chandler, Arizona, to three other homicides, two in Ohio and one in Illinois. All of the victims were women left naked or partially clothed at at truck stops, investigators said, but they have not yet revealed when or where those deaths occurred. Investigators at the time suspected a serial killer was using his job as a truck driver to prey on women and dump their bodies along the routes he traveled. Officials this week said the 17-year-old attacked by Leg at a Medina County truck stop told investigators that her attacker was a trucker. Um, she said that she met him while hitchhiking home to Lexi- Lexington, Ohio, after visiting her boyfriend in Cleveland. Kadirsky's body wasn't identified for 21 years until her family's quest to find her collided with new, new efforts by a former Mahoning County coroner to put a name on the unsolved case. About around 2011, Kadirsky's daughters submitted their, their DNA to a database called the National Missing and Unidentified Person Systems, or NamUs. Um, this was funded by the U.S. Justice Department. NamUs allows pub- the public and law enforcement to provide DNA samples to the database in an effort to identify missing persons and identified remains. Um, so that was how her body was identified as Kadirsky's. Basically, people are speculating that he might be the the serial killer that was operating at that time. Wow. Right now, he's being investigated for three deaths, and Kadirsky's was one that was believed um, to be... Uh, she was believed to be a victim of the serial killer. So he could be... I mean, this just happened this year, so I'm sure more information is going to come out, but they could have solved this case, which is very interesting. I mean, if it is him, death is too good for him. I hope he's torn apart by rabid dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very young at the time. Um, oh, he, interesting. So right now, how, uh, did it say how old he was? He was like 17 at the time of the first murder. So, oh. uh, yeah. The, so a lot of, I mean, it's a good reminder that a lot of these cases the that are still unsolved, that we see on Unsolved Mysteries, these people could still be out there, which is kind of scary. But also, we can still get them. Well, that's the thing, is that we could potentially solve them. Or they could still fall in a well and never get out. Yeah, get a hangnail for the rest of their life. Yeah. Drop a salt block on their penis. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say foot, but no. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, that would be, they'd be getting off easy. Exactly. So that was that Well, was that's that a good update. Yeah. Very sad story, but it would be nice if there's some closure It'll to that. It'll be interesting to follow this case. Um, I don't know that, you know, they always suspected that it was a serial killer, but I don't know that they... I mean, other than the sort of modus operandi, you know, he was... Sure. These bodies were... Th- th- similar victims dumped along interstates. Um, it's almost that kind of not enough information to go on. Yeah, and I mean, I think we know that other killers out there were doing the same thing, so... Men, get it together. Pretty much. You're not sending your best. Definitely. Okay, we got one more mystery, and it's a fun one. This is another unexplained. This is the Beatty Castle. A haunted castle. I know. It's always really exciting. I know. (laughs) Okay, so um, Robert Stack comes out and says, do ghosts exist? And you know he's saying no. (laughs) But then he says, the fact is, 25% of Americans believe they do. That seems way too low. I know, right? Only 25%? From just talking to people, I feel like 
That's not true. And if you did worldwide, totally more. Yeah. But Robert Stack thinks that those 25% of people are real dummies. (laughs) Okay, so we learned that in 1923, a man named Bill Beatty had a dream. And unlike rich people today, uh, he actually had some imagination (laughs) of how to spend his money. He wanted to build a 17th century style castle in Baskin Riggs, New Jersey. And he had the money to do so because he was an ad executive in New York. So he was imagining creating this castle that was going to be the center of an artist colony surrounded by bungalows and a man-made lake. Wow. I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. So in 1930, before construction was complete, he moved in with his family. He, however, never got to see it completed because he died one year later of influenza at the age of only 45. Get your flu shot. Seriously. This is your daily reminder from Brad. Get your flu shot. Don't be like Bill Beatty haunting a castle. Yes. So the castle was finished another five years later. His wife never remarried, and he raised and raised his four children there until 1941. From 1945 to 71, the castle was used by two different organizations as boys' schools. Both the students and the teachers would report hearing eerie organ music at the school, even though the school did not have a pipe organ. That's pretty creepy. But Bill Beatty did. Ooh. I mean, what is more appropriate for a ghost to play than a fucking pipe organ? Especially in a haunted castle. In a haunted castle where you're like a little boy trying to go to school. That's pretty much the law. Yeah, it's amazing. So, uh, Robert Stagg asks, Does he, did he love his castle so much that he refused to leave, even in death and we learned that his uh late what his wife would hold seances to try to contact her late husband okay so then jump to 72 don and carol birmingham buy the castle and begin remodeling which i was kind of like uh it's a castle i don't know that you need remodel but (laughs) i guess it was being used as a school so um at which point carol sort of thought there was maybe a presence and she brought in a friend who was Described as an amateur parapsychologist, <laughs> which please describe me as such. Thanks. And the friend confirmed that the house had a friendly male spirit and that they should just leave him alone and let him go about his day. <laughs> which is great. I know. They were like, well, do we need to do something? Do we need yeah. some holy water in and here? And she was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, he's minding his own business. Leave just him alone. Th- he, this is his house. Yeah, he was here first. Uh, Fuck uh, off. Okay, so this reminds me that when I did that... Victorian um, seance thing at the Alexander Ramsey house, the medium slash magician told us that there are three main types of ghosts. Okay, but the first one is like a projection of someone dies suddenly. So say you're in a car accident and your mom looks in the collection and sees you and goes, well, why is Samantha here? And then she gets a phone call and hears you actually died. In a car accident. Oh. And I can't... Oh, that's called a fetch. Ah. It's it's when your spirit is seen by your loved ones at the time of your death. Okay. But then usually never again. It's like you just say goodbye as you part from the world. It's kind of nice. The second kind, the most common kind, is the haunting. Which is when you have spirits in a place that are going about their life. They don't know that they're dead. They're doing the things they did in life. So this guy haunting his castle. Yes. This guy's stack haunting his yacht. Exactly. Exactly. This guy's just playing the pipe organ like he always did. He's just going about his day. He's not trying to scare anyone. 
His example was if you saw a ghost just walk through a wall, if you researched the history of that building, you would probably find out there used to be a door there. Mm. They're not trying to be creepy. They're just doing their stuff. Maybe if you see a ghost go up, there used to be a staircase there. You know, they're just, they don't know that they're dead. They're stuck in their routine. It's not their fault. The third type is the poltergeist, which is when you have a, a malicious spirit that is moving things or trying to scare you. Okay. And that is a spirit that knows that they're dead and doesn't want to move on for whatever reason. Okay, they perhaps, know they're dead. They're mad about it. Perhaps they think that if they move on, they'll go to hell. Okay, maybe so they instead, will. So instead, they've decided to just stick around and for some reason fuck with your shit. <laughs> His example was, say, that every night you take off your glasses, you put them on your bedside table, you wake up in the morning, they're moved. And you go, oh, that's weird. I swear I put them on my bedside table. So you do it the next day, they're moved again. And then it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I am definitely putting these on the bedside table. And then it's still moved, right? That would be a poltergeist. Someone who's the spirit that's fucking with you. Bill Beatty here, clearly a haunting. He loved this castle. He, He believed strongly in it. He's not ready to go. Yeah. He just wants to play the pipe organ and, like, hang out on balconies and stuff. He's also, we'll learn later, a helpful spirit yeah, to have he's, around. Yeah, he's helpful. Okay. So, their friend says, no, just let Bill go about his day, and they seem fine with that. So, then we hear from a man named Eugene, who used to work for the babies, that the um, burning hams meet, and he describes one incident where he, three years after Bill's death, where he was helping Bill's wife, Sarah, look for a bracelet, and they look up, and Sarah is like, oh, that's my husband, and Eugene's about to be like, uh lady your husband's dead when he looks up and he sees bill standing on the balcony too she's so casual about it oh it's my husband oh it's my husband who's totally a ghost he's standing on a balcony watching us and then vanishes so this guy eugene was like yeah you can't get me to go stand on that balcony (laughs) it scared me don't really blame him yeah it's fine so um they give the burningham's give this example of that one also like for some reason calls his wife a clean air freak <laughs> because he, she wanted to like air out their probably musty old castle anyway she liked having the windows open <laughs> yeah what a Which, freak who doesn't <laughs> so they're gonna go on a walk she's opened out all the windows to let fresh air in her husband is like don't you need to close those windows it's gonna rain and she's like it's not gonna rain well, of course it does. So they are getting back from their walk. They're running up to the castle going, oh no, we got to go close the windows and see how much damage was done. Well, they get inside. All the windows are closed from the inside and latched. Right. And then all the woodwork and whatever didn't get wet and was fine. So then they're like, oh, this ghost bill is super helpful. Yeah, I kind of want a ghost that helps me out when I forget <laughs> yeah. to close the windows, do which Actually, I do all the time. Could you, could I get a ghost that will, like, dust ceiling fans and, yeah. like, help me out around the house? There's this other example that she would, she was like, I leave bread out because it's handy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know where you're supposed to put bread, but okay. But apparently Bill would, like, knock the bread onto the kitchen floor to the point where she'd have to be like, okay, Bill, I know you're here. Could you, like, stop messing with my bread? <laughs> Bill hated bread. This was well <laughs> he was, known maybe about he Bill. was trying to tell her she had a gluten intolerance and she just maybe. wasn't picking up. He was, she was like, no, don't eat this. <laughs> it's bad for you. <laughs> anyway, so she, at some point, calls out to Bill. Bill, I don't mind you're here. I like having you around. Uh, thanks for closing my windows yeah, for me. But could, if you just, like, never, like, f- manifest, could I never see you? Because that's going to freak me out. 
And she said that they just had an understanding that he was allowed to go around and do whatever, but he wasn't allowed to appear to her. That's, I mean, reasonable. Yeah. Knock over all the bread you want, just please don't show yourself. And in 1986, they had a noted parapsychologist, Dr. Michelin Maher, come visit the castle and conduct tests for paranormal activity. They didn't find anything. But she talked to a number of witnesses who didn't necessarily know each other and found the witnesses to be very valid. And one was an example of a man who just happened to visit the castle. He, like, parked his car. He's walking up to the front door. A man is walking towards him. He, like, probably is, like, reaching out to shake his hand or, like, say hello. And then the guy just fucking vanishes. Well, that was Bill! But that guy didn't know the castle was haunted, except that it's a castle. I so mean, it's probably haunted. But he was just like, who's that dude? And then the dude disappeared right before his very eyes because it was a ghost. And then he turned and ran. Yeah. And Carol tells us the key to existing with a ghost, if you can accept it, just enjoy it. I mean, that's good advice, but she's lucky enough to have a haunting and not a poltergeist. Exactly. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Here's a Carol. Some people that have written into our show clearly have poltergeists that are, like, scratching them while they sleep and shit. Right. So they can't just enjoy it. I'll take a ghost like Bill. Oh, yeah, totally. But I don't know you get to choose. No. Probably not. Because, yeah, could a ghost come do my dishes? Oh, my God, yeah. Can I get a neat Nick ghost? Yeah. That's like, you never put your laundry away. <laughs> and then it folds it and puts it away from me. And, yeah, cleans some dishes and, like, dusts. And there's a lot of dog ghosts. There's a lot of dog hair. <laughs> Could you, Could you do just something about my corners? Vacuum that up, please. Could you do something about my dust bunnies under the couch I have not moved in a very long time? Oh my god, I know. Thanks. Okay, so that's time to unsolved mysteries, everyone. Should we rate the episode? Yes! Okay, mysteriousness. Okay, n- not that mysterious. I would say the serial killer is a bit mysterious. Yeah. Because is it a serial killer? Is it just a bunch of people killing women on the interstate? Who was How it? How terrible it get... is it to be a woman? Well, that's not a mystery. Um, oh, yeah. It may be solved, but we don't still don't know for certain. I mean, I guess we don't know if Bill's ghost is still there. Ghost stories are kind of mysterious We don't nature. know if the Wythe County still has very like, regular UFO Are sightings? they still getting 50 calls a month? I don't know. Let's... Let me look. How do those chickens die? Absolutely. Most mysterious at all. What is the Unsolved Mysteries update on this? Oh, nothing. There were alien sightings. Yeah. So, yeah, I was actually, you talked me into it. Pretty mysterious. Thumbs up. Okay, thumbs up. Um, Reenactments. Uh, Not bad. The UFO ones are not as cheesy as you might think. I thought the ghost ones were actually decent. Yeah, they were okay. They're fine. Sideways. Yeah, thumb sideways. Fashion. Okay, you get a woman that seriously, I'm not joking and I'm not trying to be mean, but she has hair like a poodle. <laughs> and you get uh, some serious neon hot pants in the trucker merch. You sure do. So, sideways again. Sideways. Robert Stack? Uh, he's skeptical as all hell. It's fu- I don't know how he manages this, but you can tell when he's saying something he thinks is stupid that his eye twinkles. Uh, he, it does. I don't know... He, like, invented smiles. I think so. He's smi- He's like, winking without moving his eye. Like, he doesn't wink. But you can tell he's like, as many people believe in ghosts. The twinkle is really a good way to describe it. Because it's exactly what it is. Because you can totally tell. You can see it all over his face. Yeah. That he doesn't believe in this shit. But it's you still also fun. You can't really call him on it. And no. it also seems good natured. Yeah. So, I'm going to say thumbs up. I think so. I think so, too. Thumbs how, up for Robert's deck. How would you rate 
this episode out of five Robert's stacks. I liked this episode. The first segment had me laughing out loud. Danny yes. is... I, I Danny know. is clueless and hilarious. He's hilarious. He is he takes unpretentious this. and peaceful and something. He takes this very seriously, and I respect that, but it's also hilarious. The told chicken thing, I... So bizarre. Bust it's out so laughing. Rant. Yeah. So I did I just, enjoy I it. really was just sitting here laughing by myself last night, like, wait, I'm sorry, What? <laughs> I was that gif of that guy just blinking and turning his head like, what? Killing chickens with two... Okay. Danny and his friend just Uh like doofuses next to their car, forgetting to get the camera out while they're watching this UFO (laughs) and then telling the story afterwards. So funny. This woman that like has a ghost for a friend, essentially. I... Murder mysteries are really my jam, and so the second one is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, the ghost story was good, so I'm like a four. I was going to say four. I'm a four on this Even one. Even though there's only three mysteries, which I usually would knock a four, they're very solid. They were. I watched this episode twice, because I had to refresh my memory a second time, and I enjoyed it both times. So Even though the UFO one is kind of long, I kind of liked that you get a timeline of the different segments they've covered, so you can sort of like make sense of it in your head, like, oh, this is first, blah, blah, blah. And I felt kind of felt like grounded the segment, even though it's information we already covered. And I really liked the ghost castle. The ghost castle was great. That's just... That is good Unsolved Mysteries content. Four out of five Robert Stacks. I liked it a lot. And that's it. Ta-da! That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Um, Do you have something to recommend? I do. I do have something to recommend. I'm going to recommend that people support a new podcast that's come out called True Consequences, which is about specifically weird stuff that happens in new mexico oh and a lot of weird shit happens in new mexico as we we have seen and as i personally know (laughs) a lot of weird stuff happens in new mexico so it's called true consequences after the town in new mexico truth or consequences named for as part of a radio contest back in the day so that's interesting because Truth or Consequences New Mexico came up in a book I just read. Oh. And it was a nonfiction book. Nothing happens there. It was just someone was from there. Um, and I was wondering how it got that name. Yeah, there was a, at one point a radio contest for places to change its name to that. And they got some sort of parade and a prize. I don't know. Anyway, they've kept it all this that's time. That's fascinating. So there's, it's, it sounds very ominous. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. A little bit. Consequences. But it's still called that. So, um, uh, the podcast is called True Consequences. It just started. There's only a couple episodes. I listened to the one about the toy box killer, um, which is a very brutal serial murderer rapist who was murdering women in a trailer he had customized oh, for yeah, that- torture and murder by Elephant Butte Lake. That is a brutal case. It's very, very scary. Um so I listened to the episode on that, and I thought it was very well done. It's like the perfect balance for me of like a conversational tone, but well researched. Like it's not someone doing like a fake NPR voice, which I kind of cannot stand. But this person clearly knows what they're talking about. They're from New Mexico. They get it. And I think this is such a good topic to focus your podcast on because yeah, so much weird stuff happens there. 
That's a really good recommendation. Yes. So I recommend listening to that, and I'm excited to see what more things are going to come out with. I saw that there is a thing about UFO sightings in the Taos area. So if you're more interested in UFOs, maybe you want to check that out. And I saw that he's going to be doing an interview with the survivor of the Toy Box Killer, which is the reason he got caught. This woman managed to escape and was running down the road literally like naked wearing a dog collar and had oh to go, God. like, bang on this old people's trailer to let it... Because no car would stop for her. Had to, like, go bang into this old people's trailer to, like, call the police. Oh, my God. I know. It's so terrifying. So, I think he's doing an interview with that woman wow. coming up, which will be really interesting to hear. I like that it is someone actually from New Mexico, kind of... It's just, like, its own weird place. It's not, like, anywhere else. And I think that you have to have that perspective to tell those stories and i feel like it's something that nationally gets kind of ignored because it's a suit like frankly because it's assumed to be like too poor too brown and doesn't have enough electoral votes it's like not being included in yeah. part of the national conversation that's so that's a really good point i'm looking forward to it. what else they're gonna do that's true consequences if you want to check that out awesome i think i'm for sure gonna check that out yeah Okay, so before I give my recommendation, I want to give an update to a recommendation I gave a couple episodes ago, and that is regarding the service Scribd, oh, which yeah. I recommended. I think when I recommended that service, I mentioned that I'd never heard of anyone having their like downloads throttled, except like if you read a ton of books, and that's like super not true because in the last <laughs> couple months, I've noticed that they kind of restrict you to like one or two books. Oh, so if someone was planning on subscribing to that. Based on my recommendation, I wanted to be clear that, like, it's definitely not unlimited. Okay. Which is kind of not cool, in my opinion. Also, Isn't that, like, the whole point of the service? So, it's technically unlimited. What they limit you on is they seem to meter your access to the most popular books or the new releases. Okay. So, you technically still can find something else to read. It's just going to be something that's not as popular. So, this has been sort of frustrating to me lately, and is one of the reasons why I went back to, to Audible. So, I have both now. We'll see if I continue with both. But you can basically listen to, like, two or three, and then all of a sudden you realize that, like, many books that you want to want access to suddenly say they're not available to you for 30 days. So, I find uh, their business uh. model to be a little bit more deceptive than I initially thought. Uh, technically, it is still unlimited because you can find something else to read. It's just probably not going to be what you want to read. Mom, you can probably still find all the gargoyle romances probably. that your heart desires because probably. you know what? The population is behind and Pro they probably. don't know that they should be listening. <laughs> this was particularly frustrating to me this month because I wanted to participate in nonfiction November, which is like where you just read a bunch of nonfiction books in November, which I'm still doing, but I had wanted to like do the challenges. Oh. And so curating a list of books with like, yeah, I only got two Audible credits, and I'm, like, afraid to return anything, because I just got out of Audible jail. Uh, and then, like, long lists, long wait lists at the library, and then Scribd was, like, metering my download. So, what the hell? All that's to say is that I still recommend that service, but, because it is cheaper be than Audible. Be wary. Audible, but be aware that, yeah, they definitely limit limit what you and maybe that's because of publishers maybe they're required like that one publisher recently is like not giving books to libraries anymore did you hear about that yeah that's bullshit too so like maybe it's just like evil publishers i don't know that are have some rules that scribd has to follow i don't know if it's scribd's fault but yeah they definitely okay advertise themselves as unlimited and they're not but that's not my recommendation in fact for once i don't have a book to recommend 
I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. I have a podcast to recommend as well. I recently started listening to the podcast Natural Disasters. It's a ParCast original podcast. I hadn't given ParCast like a second chance since I tried their Cults podcast, which I I think oh. is probably well-researched, but the narrators? I are, 100% it's agree. It's funny that you bring up a fake NPR because... No, that's actually like what I was thinking it's of. It's like extremely scripted and to the point where it's, I don't know, it's just not really my style. And it's funny because the same two narrators do this podcast in the same way, but I like it more with the subject matter and I'm not okay. sure why. I think it's because it feels like a PBS show or something about natural disasters. So the scripted nature of it sort of works. And I think maybe they've also refined their technique because they don't do the fake like back and forth, which I found that they did in cult. And maybe they've changed. I haven't listened to that podcast in a while. But in cults, they would do this thing where it would be like, back to you, Janet. Like it was sort of that very strange. I don't know. I prefer a more conversational style. You know, everyone's preference is different and you might find scripted podcast to be your thing um maybe we should do one episode where we talk in that voice (laughs) i don't know we might lose all our listeners Uh, hello and welcome it's perhaps it's you and this is my co-host liz (laughs) it's that's kind of how how we're so glad you're with us today to talk about brutal murders that's um i think they've kind of perfected it a little bit i recently listened to the 2011 tornado super outbreak um, which I thought they paid enough respect to the people that lost their homes and lives to this tornado with, while also giving a lot of really good information about just tornadoes and how they work and how like they're rated, which I didn't know a lot about. I'm just haven't looked in. I haven't read any books about meteorology or anything like that. I only always oh, that all I know you're going like, to read next year is books about tornadoes. Probably not, but I did find this episode of the podcast okay. to be interesting. I'm still working through my disease book. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this, the rating scale, like the F1, F5, like, they go into that a little bit, the history of that, which I thought was really interesting. And then they also played, like, news footage from the day. And the, the tornado one specifically happened over a few days, so they sort of follow the timeline, and it sort of has, like, a storyline almost. I thought it was really, really well done. And since then, I've listened to a few other episodes. There's not a lot out yet. It's kind of a newer one for this network. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I thought that our listeners might as well. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been trying out a lot of new podcasts because I've been doing so much reading this year. Um, but I just sort of felt like I wanted to dive into something new. And I had this one, like, subscribed to a while ago, but never listened to it. I was like, oh, this might, you know, I'll try something new and I'll listen to this, this podcast I downloaded ages ago. Um, and I was happy I did. It was really good. Cool. So that's my recommendation. All right, everyone. I hope you are going to uh, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your five-star reviews, and we only accept five-star reviews. So, so yeah, if you've got less than five stars, don't even bother. <laughs> we are coming up, believe it or not, on the end of the season. So we need your spooky tales, your personal paranormal experiences. Yes. Send them over to Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Or there's a form on our website where you can get in touch with us. Perhaps it's you.com. You can also find on our website a list of everything we've recommended. Uh, you can listen to our episodes. You can send people there. And yeah, you can reach out to us directly. Yes. And what else do we need to tell you? Well, that you should give us money on Patreon. We covered that a little bit. That's patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. Okay. Even $1 gets you cool stuff. All and kinds if- of cool shit. You can cough up $5, you'll get a monthly covering sheet. If you can cough up $10, you'll get a quarterly gift. 
Yes, you will. And we're also on social media at Perhaps It's You on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join our Facebook group. We're the unofficial, official Perhaps It's You Facebook group. There's only one. Uh, there's only one. You'll, You'll find, find, it. find us there. And it's a great way to interact with us directly. Um, I think that's it. It's not really everything. It's not all we have to say. Probably. All right. Enjoy your November. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for all your support. We appreciate it. Let us know if you see Mothman. Get out there and solve some mysteries. Yeah, you bitches. Bye. Bye.